You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to a Pack Draft Podcast. Today, I have Randy Mueller, former NFL general manager with several teams, and I asked him what would he definitely do with the second pick if he were the Redskins, and his memories of working in San Diego with Redskins coach Ron Rivera. He also knows Kyle Smith. Hint, his comments are good. Then, it's on to Tyler Roman, an NFL scout who also does mock drafts for NBC Sports Washington. We go over a lot of mid-round picks, tight ends, receivers, linemen, and backs, guys who can help the Redskins in the third or fourth round. And then finally, it's on to ESPN's Cameron Wolf, my guy covering the Dolphins in Miami. Has Miami gone from tanking for Tua to trading for Tua? He provides the answer. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. This coming week, I'll have a look at what the Redskins can still do to surround Dwayne Haskins with more talent from this draft. Before I get to Randy Mueller, first want to thank you for your patience. I know the audio isn't always the highest quality that you can get when you're in a studio, but this is an unusual time. Bear with us. Focus on the content. I think you'll still enjoy it. I also wanted to mention a few nuggets on here before moving on. Number one, in regards to Trent Williams, it's business as usual. There haven't been the offers they need to get it done, and they are willing to trade him after the draft. I talked to someone a week ago, and the feeling is they'll be just as happy adding picks in next year's draft as well as this year's. If that's So whatever it goes, if they get up for 2021, they're going to be just okay. They are taking a little risk here, but the offers they've had thus far just aren't good enough, and they're willing to wait to see if they improve, whether after the draft or maybe even in August. I know Minnesota is one of the teams definitely interested, and I think they probably remain the team to watch. Whether they get him or not, I don't know. I'll also be curious to see what San Francisco does if Joe Staley ends up retiring. But I do know the Redskins are willing to ride it out and will not do another team any favors by giving him away. In the end, it might cost them a little bit, but it's also a move or a strategy that could pay off in a higher pick, ultimately. Number two, for the record, I don't think the Skins trade the number two pick, and I do believe well, they will draft Chase Young if they're at number two. I have thought that since January, and nothing has changed my mind. They know he's a high-impact guy and can affect all three levels. I know this to be true in terms of their thinking. I talked to one person in the league who thinks they definitely won't trade the second pick no matter what. And I kind of lean in that direction, but you always have to leave out just in case they get that massive haul. And I think that's the phrase that I've been using the entire time, and nothing has changed. I do know it will take a lot just to get them to consider moving because they know what they're passing up. Number three, I know everyone seems to want more picks. The Redskins are a young team already. 
I had a story last week on on the likelihood or how all signs point to Chase Young. You can go back and check that out on ESPN.com. One of the nuggets I had in there is 54, there are 74 players, are currently 26 years old or younger, and a majority of them will start. I get the sense that they will try to add more picks, or they'd like to, I should say, maybe in the third or fourth round if possible. That could be tough. What they don't want to do is deplete the capital for next year. Because of this unprecedented offseason, it could be that the full rebuild doesn't begin until 2021 after the coaching staff has really gotten to know their players. But that's why the goal now is to add someone like Young who can become elite. It's never been just to add more picks. And by the way, when I say the full rebuild, they clearly have done a lot of that stuff and there's stuff that going on. I just think that because of this offseason, it could maybe wait, you know, they may have to wait on some guys and in some strategies to execute that in full again next year. But again, it's never been just to add more picks in in this draft. You get better by drafting excellent players, not by drafting for volume. And I understand that this could end up with two first-round picks versus just having a lot of picks. That's a difference, and I understand that. But I will point to in 2011, the Redskins had 11 draft picks. The best player out of that draft was Ryan Kerrigan for, for the Redskins. A very good pick. But the other 10, Niles Paul was probably the best player. I love Niles. Very good um, backup tight end, um, special teamer, good guy to have on the roster, really good guy to have on the roster. But the point of this is those were the top picks. Quantity does not top quality. And again, I say that knowing that there's a difference between adding having 11 picks and then maybe three or four in the top three rounds. Anyway, now here's my conversation with former NFL GM Randy Mueller. One note to add here. During the conversation, I asked him about the Wonderlick scores because it was reported that Tua Tagovailoa scored a 13. It later came out that it was actually a 19. The conversation we had still applies, but I wanted you to have the accurate score. Now I'm joined by Randy Mueller, Longtime NFL executive, general manager of the Saints, the Dolphins, senior executive of football ops and with the Chargers. Spent a long time in the NFL. Randy, thank you very much for joining me. The first thing I want to ask you about, though, is you do have experience with Ron Rivera when he was an assistant coach with the Chargers. And we've gone over a lot about Rivera with the Redskins, but I am curious what you saw in him at that time as a young assistant coach. Yeah, that was before he got became a head coach with Carolina. Yeah, no doubt about it. You make me feel old with that introduction, John. I don't know, man. Ron and I do go way back. Um, I remember him as a player, one of the probably few guys that did a little evaluation on him coming out. But you're right, we, we crossed paths in San Diego for several years, I guess. Um, I think the first time I spent time around Ron in a professional setting, you could tell he had the it factor to be a leader. You know, he's a leader of men. Um, he's very obviously organized. He understands what his job is. But he's just one of those guys that people want to get in line behind. So um, nothing but the best for him. Happy for him. Happy for Kyle Smith as well. Kyle Smith's father and I worked together, obviously, with the Chargers. A.J. hired me there. So go way back with A.J. as well. So they've got a good group there, a lot of good scouts, a lot of good people involved. So uh, I'm, I'm positive they're going to get it right for Dan Snyder, who I've also known for years. 
And I was going to ask you about Kyle, too, because I knew you would work for AJ. But with Ron, when you say you could see it, what were some of the things that you remember seeing maybe that told you that? Well, I'll tell you what. I remember conversations of what Ron and I had. And I had just come from Miami. So uh, when I left Miami, San Diego hired me like the next week. So I remember being there for a mini camp right after the draft. Um, and, then, and then from then on, and I remember standing on the sidelines with Ron, and he was asking me at the time, uh, hey, what do I need to do to prepare for this opportunity? He had been interviewed, I think, several times before then, but he said, I, I need to help some help on cap stuff. I need some help on personnel stuff. I need some help on working together with a GM and personnel crew. So he was always inquisitive. Um, he had been around for a while at that point. So the fact that he was still wanting to learn and understand different angles of the job itself was very impressive to me. So I think from that, from that time on, I knew it was just a matter of time before someone gave him an opportunity. And you know the importance of the coach and the front office working together well. And you brought up AJ and Kyle's son, or his son Kyle is here. And it does seem like he and Ron get along pretty well. Why is yeah, that, think, why is, what difference does that make when you have that sort of um, chemistry or synchronicity or whatever? Yeah, I just went through a, a little example of that in the XFL where um, when you're in the business and, and your job is to do what I do or do what a coach does, there is nothing more important than, than building it together. Two heads are better than one. You always hear people talk about that. But in the XFL, we built a team from scratch and in my case, totally aligned philosophically, football-wise, with June Jones. Um, it was unbelievable uh, in that out of all my years in the NFL, I might remember this XFL experience as much as any down the road because of that, because we were able to work together um, as good as any setup I've ever been in. And you built something from scratch. Now, they won't have quite that, mm, right. that, that wide path in the NFL because when you do this, at the NFL level, you, you make do with what is there. But at the same time, they're going to go forward and have a chance to, if they can be on the same page, um, they can have – the rules are set up where they can get good in a hurry. And if the two of them can realize that relationship, it is a respectful one. Both of them have a different angle. Both of them do things and think differently, but yet come together at the end of the day. They have a chance to get better because of the way the setups are nowadays. Uh, with regard to free agency, the draft. There's just a ways to make your teams better. Did you have much dealings with Kyle when he was – I know that he wasn't working there, but did you have much dealings with him before? No, very little. I mean, I would see Kyle on the road a lot, still did, up all through my time with San Diego. But obviously, A.J. hired me, and right. A.J. and I go way back, so I've known about Kyle. And, in fact, Kyle has a couple scouts working for him now that, that I've had a chance to work with in the past as well. So there's a lot of commonalities, that's for sure. What do you know about those scouts? What can you share about those scouts that, like, you know, your scouters report on the scouts? Yeah. No, that's a big thing. Half the job of a, a decision maker is to listen and, and know your scouts, know where the information is coming from. Same when you listen to your coaches. You've got to become a great listener, and I'm sure Kyle's figuring that out now. You need to have a couple people to, to lean on, but you need to be a good listener and take for – Take, take it with what these experienced guys come together and bring you. Uh, Paul Scanzi is an example who was with me in San Diego. He's known Kyle forever. AJ uh, had hired Paul as well. So I know Paul's a really good scout. He's a very conscientious, good man. 
hopefully Kyle and Ron, for this, from that standpoint, both listen to guys like uh, uh, Paul Scanzi. It does seem, Randy, like one of the things they're doing here is that there does seem to be a lot of cohesion again and working together and listening to guys and then coming up with their own, you know, I guess they're coming to a consensus, so to speak. That's right. not always easy. No. And, you know, so and you can tell like, just by your reaction, why <laughs> can that be so hard? I don't know. And it's crazy because I've always, I've, I've had jobs, John, where I've worked under a coach, I've worked even with a coach, and I've been the coach's boss. And I always still worked under that premise. So consensus is what it's all about. I think the process of team building is all about consensus. Right. And the fact is, I don't have to be right. The truth doesn't have to be right. Most times the truth is in the middle somewhere. So right. these philosophies have been true and tried for me in my 30 some years in the league. I don't know why teams can't get that part of it right, but it seems pretty simple to me. I think sometimes egos are involved. Sometimes there's agendas of other people in the building involved, and that's never a good thing. But if the coach and the GM and the personnel group can be on the same page with, hey, we, we first you need to identify what you're looking for. And the coaches need to help you do that because right. they know what positions and, and schemes they're going to use. But once that's been developed, it's easy to find the right players. And I think to be on the same page. And Randy, I'll be honest, that's to me, when people talk about like you get these, a lot of fans are like, oh, they didn't do enough in free agency. I'm like, the biggest thing they've done this offseason were some of those hires but I said the fact that those guys get along so well, I think, is going to pay bigger dividends than any free agent that they would have brought in. Now, along with that, we have the draft coming up. They're sitting there at number two, and there's a lot of talk about what, you know, I, I think they're going to take Chase Young. I think most people think that. But the decision right. is, do you trade back? So let's, I want you to have, if you have the number two pick in this draft, what would it take to get you out of that pick, knowing what you may get in Chase Young? Well, in one word, a lot. <laughs> um, I, I think that, and it's, it's great for fans to talk about. It's great for fantasy football people to kind of what if. Here's the thing. If Chase Young, and, and I think he is, as good as everybody says he is, why would you back out of that spot for a lesser player? Now, maybe it's a lesser player and something else or a couple different other holes to fill, but I'm into getting the best players we can, and that'd be hard for me to back out of that spot. Um, I don't think they're in a position where they can pass on an elite pass rusher. Other than a quarterback, that's probably the second most valuable position you can add to your team. I think it's hard for them to back out of that. And frankly, I don't think I could be talked out of picking Chase Young at that spot. Yeah, and I, I would have a hard time with that too. To me, it would take a couple first-round picks this year, maybe a third and maybe a, a future one even to get me to really think hard about it because of what he yeah. can offer. And it's funny because they do have a lot of young players, but they don't have our elite players, potentially elite players. Right. And that seems to be what he can give. And you watch what Bosa, the Bosa brothers yes. have done, but especially up in San Francisco, that, you know, the impact yeah. is pretty big, you know? And I don't know no. why you would go away. I, I know why you would, but I don't anticipate them going away. Yeah, I just think you're right. Elite players are hard to get. And yeah, you want... Uh, quality all the time. But in this case, um, a, a top three pick is staring you right in the face. I mean, I, I, that'd be hard for me to back out of there to, to take anything else. And you mentioned a bundle of picks. Again, those are still what ifs. Right. You don't know right. what you're going to get with those picks. You don't even know if you went from three to 10, what would be available. Right. So I guarantee you won't get the quality of Chase Young at 10 that you get at two. So it just, there's a lot of parts of it doesn't make sense to me. And I understand they need to take all the calls. They need to discuss it at nauseum. 
And that's all part of the fun of, of building a team and the process of it itself. But at the end of the day, it'd be hard for me to back out of there. What if you're sitting there at five and you're Miami, would you be knowing what you know? Let's say, let's say, for example, it's Tua. They like, they want Tua. Knowing the medical and all that, would you be comfortable giving up a lot to go from five to two? If you were comfortable with the medical part, I think that will be the thing that in the end keeps people from trading up for a guy like Tua. One, you would be, you really setting yourself up for not only a little bit of criticism with regard to trading up, but trading up for a guy with the medical history he has. It's kind of twofold. It's almost two strikes against you. And that's not to say he might be a great player. I don't know. But the medical part of that seems to be irresponsible if you just turn your back to that. Do you, have you had a – what do you think of Tua? And I guess the Tua, Justin Herbert, there's questions. There's yeah. some people who now are saying that maybe the Dolphins like Herbert more. What, do you, have you had a chance to watch those guys a lot? I have watched them both, actually. And, and I think there's pros and cons to, to both of them. Um, I clearly would see Joe Burrow as the head and tails above them. I've heard that discussion around, and I don't think that's much of a discussion. Um, the things that you love about Tua are the things that are obvious to everybody. His short release, his quick feet, his definitive decision-making on third downs, and the short to medium-range accuracy. The accuracy wanes a little bit when talking about throwing downfield, and again, that can come with the scheme that he's in as well, but there may be some issues there. And then you cannot – just because uh, – Drew Brees is six foot tall, and the kid in Seattle is six foot tall. You can't disregard the fact that two is not a guy. So right. the pocket does have to be maneuvered. It does have to be moved around a little bit for him. He does get a ball batted down here or there, and I know tall guys do too. But there, there's not, it's not a slam dunk. This guy's the next coming of uh, just because he's a lefty of Steve Young. I don't, I don't see that value there. Uh, and, and then Herbert um, has every measurable you want. He's big. He's athletic. He's got a good arm. He can make most of the throws. The scheme he played at at Oregon is, you know, for the pro game, not the easiest to convert to. Um, there are some throws that he will miss. He missed some open guys. I don't think he has the same accuracy as Tua has. But, again, it depends on your scheme. If you're going to sit him in the pocket at six foot five, his vision and his ability to make all the throws downfield might be a little better than Tua's. So, I guess that's why they have uh, Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors. John. Right. Everybody likes a different kind, you know. Going back to Chase Young, what, when you watched him, what stood out to you? Well, the suddenness of his get off, for one thing. That's something you can't coach. You can't coach his body control and his natural lean around the corner. Um, those are things that are rare in this game. They have been since I got in it. I know that. that those guys are just hard to find. Not that a quarterback isn't, but I think this guy's skill set as a pass rusher. He's a, he's a clear fit with almost any scheme defensively. Um, I think that puts him at a different level. And he can affect the game on every snap. Right. And he does that a lot of times. So a lot of pluses, hardly anything at all to nitpick about him. I think he's pretty complete. Does he remind you of anybody? Um, a little bit of Derek Thomas. Okay. You know, I, I grew up in the Seahawks organization, yeah. so we had to block Derek Thomas in Kansas City forever. Um, a little bit of that. It's just a natural lean where he can turn the corner and uh, squeeze a pocket and force a quarterback to know where he's at on every snap, both, both pre-snap and post-snap. you got to be aware of Chase Young, and, and that's a hard, it's a hard skill set and a hard weapon uh, to find in this day and age. 
Um, I got a, just a couple more for you, but one of the things I wanted to, you, you went through that lockout in 2011, and this is an unbelievably different, unprecedented offseason. These guys have a young quarterback and a new coach. How would you go about trying to develop Dwayne Haskins in this offense? Can't get him on the field maybe until August. Well, it's going to be hard. There's no doubt. It sets them back. It sets everybody for developing players back in this day and age. And, and I know we've got this virtual offseason now that's in place, but I'll be honest, I don't know how much we're going to get out of that. Right. It, it, if you have a virtual reality system within your, within your organization, and there are some good ones out there, obviously that's going to matter. But it definitely sets back the quarterback position because that's one that you need to have hands on all day, every day. I've said for years, ever since the NFLPA and, and the league has cut back their off seasons, the development of quarterbacks has been really hard. And it's even more so this year. Um, these kids are going to struggle. It probably gives the advantage to a veteran guy that knows the system um, that the Redskins acquired from Carolina. Probably gives him a heads up for sure as to knowing what's going on sooner rather than later. With with Dwayne, what was your did you I don't know how much did you get a chance to watch him a lot last year and what was your take maybe on him coming out of college? You know, I really didn't. He was one guy I didn't spend a lot of time okay. viewing. I saw a little bit of of what everybody else saw last year in the system, a young guy who makes a lot of mistakes. It, the game happens awful fast for him, which are all normal. I mean, that happened sure. that way for Peyton Manning, John Elway. Right. Right. You know, the best thing about a rookie quarterback is, in my opinion, when you can say it's year two. So they do have that going for him. But you wish he could learn in a more reasonable and a more normal fashion. Uh, and, but that's the life and times we're in. But it's funny because I also look at him as he went into a, system, a situation last year where not everybody there was on board with drafting him at 15. Yeah. Then you go from that kind of year to having an unprecedented offseason where you may not be able to work with your new coaches. That's not the easiest start for a young quarterback, is it? No, it's, it's a nightmare. I'll be honest with you. It's a nightmare. It's really hard for him. It's, it's up there with the, uh, you know, uh, the kid that, that Arizona drafted that went to Miami, Josh Rosen. It's up there with his career. You know, yeah. how, I mean, how unlucky could a guy be where he right. gets traded in year two? You know, all the changes that happened in Miami, we're tanking for two, all this other garbage. It's hard for these guys. And, again, it, 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 it's going to set up them back there's no question I think it's going to set these kids back two or three years before and this may not even be the end of it who knows when we're going to get the play right and that's that's the thing is that's what I'm curious about too because I just you want you know for a young player and especially an inexperienced young players you didn't have a lot of starts in college you only had seven last year so it just makes it a lot tougher but you know I know he's doing what he can to learn it but it does make it it's it's, it's another obstacle for him um one of the things, one of the things, the last things I want to ask about too. You were involved in the XFL, and I'm just in, in a couple of spring leagues. So, do you is that do you think that we'll ever be able to see a spring league take hold, or was this like, or, you know, or was the XFL d demise this year more about the virus versus the league? I think without a doubt it was virus based. The, the demise of it, I think it took a once in a lifetime virus to to shut them down. Um, the, the other ventures that we've had in, whether spring leagues or off-season leagues, NFL Europe, all of that stuff, those were great tools for us to develop players. And so to answer your question, yes, I think there's a, a market for it. I think both the AAF and the XFL proved that people want to watch it. Yeah. They proved that the product is good 
TV wants content, so there's a, a marriage there. I think the one thing that could solidify it is if they could make an agreement with the NFL as a developmental league. I saw something on TV this morning. The NBA now has got a pathway to professionalism. Right. Some new, new uh, fangled program where kids can come out early and then go to this G League to develop. Right. If the XFL and the NFL could ever get together on something like that, that would be awesome. I think any, everybody wins. The kids win. There's a, there's a bunch of kids that just want the opportunity. Maybe even they leave college early. Maybe it's a one-year program where after a, th a third year or after a second year in college, a kid can do that. I just think there's something there to talk about, and the good of the game would, would benefit from it. And, and that's from a macro picture. Uh, th there's a place in the football environment for a, a spring league like the XFL, especially if the NFL can use it as, to develop players. Do you, when, you were, when you were looking at quarterbacks, did you look at the Wonderlick score much? I mean, how important was that? I think it's very important. I think you have to find every angle to, to figure out if a kid can process information. And let's face it, the Wonderlick score itself maybe doesn't tell you how smart a guy is, but it definitely tells you how he can process information. And any way you can find out how these kids process, it, it, that's probably the, the fatal flaw in NFL quarterbacks now that come from college to the pros. If they can't process, it's going to be a struggle. So you, you need to use every angle you can to do that. Because I ask you that because Tua came out today and it was pretty low and it surprised me. I think it surprised a lot of people. And it, when you watch him, it doesn't seem like it. Maybe that I don't know if it jives or not. Did, did, when you watch his game, does it look like he has trouble processing on the field? It didn't to me. And again, yeah, I don't know what the, I, I didn't see the number, so I don't know what it was. It was like but, thirteen. Yeah, that's not that's not very good. That's no. for sure. But when yeah. you watch him, it doesn't seem like that's how he plays. No, I would agree with that. I, I did not see him make a ton of mistakes. There was a couple red zone interceptions, but that's normal. Um, again, you would probably really drill down on the, on the system that they run at Alabama and have to visit with those people to find out what they were asking of him. But I saw a lot of decisiveness in his game, and yeah. especially going to a second or third option and then delivering the ball again on the short to medium range stuff. He was really good at that. So um, I'm, I, that, that number really would surprise me. Last thing I promise, is there a guy in this draft that you are like excited to see where, what happens to him once he gets to the league? Is there somebody that, you know, besides some of the obvious ones, is there anybody that you really like here that? I'm a little interested to see where Jacob Eason falls, the Washington okay. quarter. Um, having, you know, living in Seattle, I've kind of seen him. He's a Seattle kid. So I saw him as he went through his recruiting, he goes to Georgia, gets really run out of Georgia. And I'm not sure he's not a longer-term answer better than, than what they ended up with. But then he goes to Washington. They have kind of an off year. Again, development of his skill set is one thing. But can he process? Can he find the right NFL system? Because there's another kid that's 6'5", 6'6", can right. make all the throws, really good arm. You know, I, I'm anxious to see how his, one, where he ends up, and two, where he ends up going once he gets there. That would be a really intriguing one for me. Someone might end up with an NFL starting quarterback there. Excellent. Randy, I appreciate your time. You've been very generous, and thank you for your insight. Thank you for joining me. You bet, John. Thank you. After this break, I'll be back with Tyler Roman to discuss players that he sees as good fits for the Redskins in the third and fourth rounds.
welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Tyler Roman. As you'll recall, Tyler has been on with me a couple times in the past to talk about the draft. And I want to get, we're gonna, this is a draft heavy show, so I want to get right into it. And Tyler, thanks for joining me. And I want to jump into it right away. Let's assume, let, not assume, let's see if the Redskins trade with Miami. They get the fifth and the 18th pick. What do you think would be a best case scenario for them at those picks? I think best case scenario would be Isaiah Simmons or Jeff Okuda at five. Uh, I think Isaiah Simmons might be a little, you know, much of a pipe dream. I think the Giants are locked in at him at, at this moment. Uh, but if you get him, that'd be great. He can play safety linebacker. He excels at single high. I've seen him in the slot. He's covered outside receivers. He can do it all very much like a Derwin James type. But, you know, I think more realistically, you got a guy like Jeff Okuda from Ohio State who, you know, would be a great addition to the secondary. This team needs corners. Kendall Fuller was a good pickup in free agency. But, you know, getting a guy like Jeff Okuda, I think he's going to be a number one shutdown corner, very much along the lines of his uh, Ohio State brothers, of uh, Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore. You know, I think you could pick him at five and feel good about him being your number one corner here for the next five years or so. So I think that would be, you know, the ideal situation at five. Um, and at 18, you know, the team needs wins. It was indicative of the team going after so hard of Mari Cooper injury agency. They really want to surround uh, Haskins with the mesh weapons as possible. So I think, you know, ideally you'd love a guy like guys like Jerry Judy from Alabama, whose route running is just next level, uh, or CeeDee Lamb, who's just a fiend after the catch when you get him the ball, um, or Henry Ruggs, who's had speed for days. You saw anticipation of him in his uh, 40 time at the combine. So those would be the guys you want to maintain. Not for sure those one of those guys slides, but a guy I think pretty feel pretty confident he would be there is uh, Justin Jefferson, the receiver from LSU. Uh, really like his versatility. He can play the slot, X, Y position, Z, all of them. Uh, he excels more mainly the slot, but he can win outside too. Uh, his, he had a great combine, which I think solidified his uh, first round status. But you know, I really think Justin Jefferson would be a good they get 18 if they want to go tackle route you got a guy like uh, Josh Jones from Houston who's a mammoth of a prospect at 6-7 uh, he excels the past game a little raw but he's an experienced player started uh, last three years at Houston and, and when you look at like let's go to the fifth pick if it's Simmons or or Okuda but with Simmons how do you see him do you see I mean I you kind of brought it up earlier but like do you see him as a, I mean more teams I'm talking to see seem to see him as a safety and I know there were some teams that weren't sure what do you do with him. And that kind of clouded their maybe what they – how much they really liked him because they weren't sure where is he best. Yeah, but I think he's just a football player. Like, you, you could put him out there, one of those 11, and he's just going to compete and be oh. one of your best players. I, I think he – I think – I like him at safety, but if you put him, you know, at linebacker in a 4-3, he'll excel there too. I mean, he literally can do a little bit of everything. And I think that's why teams should cover you know, you don't get that much versatility, you know, these type of days. Um, and a guy like that, like I said, very reminiscent of a guy like Derwin James. They play a little bit everywhere. They play him in the box. They play him up high. Um, and he, you see how much of an impactful player he's been for L.A. So I think, you know, I think Isaiah, I, I don't see why people would be, you know, upset of where to play him. I just think you put him out there and he's going to make plays for you. And I think he'd be a great pick for the team. And, you know, I guess there was a report earlier they really liked him and even it too, but I think that might be some smoke. I think Chase was the guy they would prefer, but who knows? Right. And I think the, the question here then becomes, what's the better value, Chase Young at two or the combination of a Simmons-Okuda or and, – and maybe a Justin Jefferson or Jones or whatever? What, what's the – what's – 
you know, how does that combination stack up to Chase Young? Yeah, like I said, I, I think I've been going back and forth on this as well. Uh, I think Chase Young is, you know, absolute beast. You know, I don't think we can say too much as already hasn't been said. Um, like, I, I think that we got to stop using the generational pass rusher with him, though, because people keep saying that, but then you have – Every year you hear that. Exactly. It's Joey Bosa a couple years ago. So, um, not to take anything away from him because Chase is going to be a stud at the next level, very like a Khalil Mack or – Julius Peppers type of player. So I think, you know, the rest would be very happy, you know, picking him at two. But, you know, with this team, with so many needs, I think it's something you definitely could consider trading down. You know, if you can get, you know, a reverse RG3, I think that would be, you know, ideal. You have to would get a lot to consider moving off that number two pick, whether it be three ones or two ones and a two or, you know, even more or players. So you need a lot of capital if you want to move out. But like I said, I don't think fans should be upset if they move out. I don't think fans should be upset if they, take chase. I think it's a win-win scenario for the team, but you know, I, I think you can't go wrong. Like I said, if you get a guy like Okuda or Simmons at five and then a playmaker for Dwayne at 18 in some way, the team should be happy because there's going to, they're going to get multiple, you know, good players, but you know, do you outweigh that for a guy like Chase who, you know, seems like he's going to be a perennial pro bowler from day one. So. Right. And you can go either way. Happy. So let's shift ahead now. They don't, let's say they don't make the trade. They have no second round pick. So let's go to the third and fourth round areas. And we both know they need to surround Dwayne Haskins with more talent. That means receiver, tight end. I'm going to start with there. So let's go first to the tight end class. And I was talking to somebody earlier today. They brought up the names of Devin Asiasi, Asiasi um, Cole Komet, um, Kroutman from Dayton, Okwe Boonham from Missouri. How do you see that group? And, like, what are, are, is, would that be your top four? Or are there other guys you like better for the Redskins in those areas? I like those guys. Um, you know, I think Komet probably will be gone, uh, but he's not that good of a blocker. Uh, he needs to progress definitely in that aspect to be a full around, all around tight end in the league. Uh, uh, Devin Asiasi, another good player. He came on late. He didn't really have that good of a year till this, a good career till this past year. He kind of blew up on the scene. Uh, and then um, Alberto from Missouri had a heck of a combine, you know, 4 4. And, you know, his film, and he makes plays that, you know, drop your jaw. And you're like, oh, this guy's going to be a great player in the NFL. But then the next play, he makes a bonehead mistake, and you don't know if you're watching the same player. So uh, you, you like his potential, but he has the highest ceiling, I think, of any tight end prospect in this class. But, you know, he might have the highest floor as well. So you definitely there's, there's some risk with him. Um, Adam Troutman, Trout, 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 I do like from Dayton. You know, with a guy like that playing in that type of competition, you want to see him dominate. And, you know, that's what he did. He had over 900 yards and 14 TDs his last year. Uh, he came into college as a quarterback, and so he still kind of learned the position. But he's a willing blocker uh, for a guy that was a quarterback, and he has nice athletic ability. And uh, another guy that I like is uh, Hunter Bryant from Washington. Yeah. Uh, I think he reminds me of Jordan Reed, and some fans might not – you know, be too happy about that, but you know, Jordan Reed did have a great Jordan's talent. Jordan's talent was really good. It was never a question about that. Oh, I agree. wholeheartedly agree. And I think Hunter has some of that to his game, the way he uh, shakes off defenders in his routes. Um, not as good, you know, not a great blocker like Jordan is or was, but uh, I think Hunter Bryant, you know, is definitely a guy that you'd be happy about as like a move tight end. Um, he had, had over 800 yards and three TDs, you know, this past year at Washington. And lastly, you know, a guy that isn't talked about as much, I think, for being, you know, the John Mackey Award winner last year at FAU is Harrison Bryant. And, you know, he's a good good blocker. He's 6'5". He's 255-ish area, but he has kind of a slender build. Uh, but he has a, you know, he's a really good receiver, had over 1,000 yards last year, 
can make plays at every level of the defense. And, you know, I really like his combo of being able to block, you know, and a receiver. So I think, you know, he's one of the most complete tight ends, if you want to go from that point of view, being as a blocker and receiver in this 2020 class. Let's go to the receiver group because, you know, again, they need somebody. They want somebody opposite Terry McLaurin, and they drafted a few guys. They have a couple of young guys from last year, Sims in the slot, you know, Harmon mm-hmm. out at, at the Z. But they're going to try and get someone else. So, you know, I was talking to Matt Bowen last week on the podcast. It was Van Jefferson, Brian Edwards, Tyler Johnson. Those are some of the names he threw out there. Who are some of the guys that you like in the third or fourth round area that maybe can come in and make an impact for them? You know, you know, every year you, you watch the draft and you have those one or two guys that is sliding and you're like, how the heck is that possible? So I think that's going to happen to some receivers this year just because the class is so loaded. And, you know, two guys that I think, you know, could get there, I'm not saying they will, but there would be, a, you know, great dream scenarios for the Redskins would be either T. Higgins from Clemson, who's kind of fallen in recently because he didn't have a combine workout and didn't have a great of a pro day showing um, before, you know, all the coronavirus stuff. But he, you know, has good film, has trouble beating the press, but I think if the wrestling get a guy like him, they'd be very happy. Another guy would be LaVisca Chanel from Colorado. You know, coming into this year, he was right. a top 10, top 10 projected pick. He had a down year this year because of injuries and other factors. But, you know, another guy, if the team gets him, they should be ecstatic because, you know, in 2018, he had 1,000 yards in just nine games. And right. you can give him the ball multiple ways. Uh, you play him as and running back. He's played little quarterback, direct snap action at Colorado. So that'd be nice. But, you know, ideally, you know, a really good scenario would be, and he might even go a little higher, is Michael Pittman Jr. from USC. Right. It's a guy I really like. Um, his game reminds me of, not saying he will be as good as these guys, but like a Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay type. Um, you know, he just made plays for USC last year, over 100 catches, 11 TDs. I ran a 4-5 with the combine, which is, I think is great for a 6-4 guy. Has the bloodlines. His dad was a running back for the Buccaneers and Cardinals. And, you know, I think, you know, he, he just gets open. And he uses the physicality to get open. And, you know, going back to Ron's days in Carolina, he always had that huge wide receiver, whether it be Kelvin Benjamin or Devin Funches. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if he's looking for a guy like that, you know, coming into this year. Um, and I think Michael Pittman Jr. would, you know, fit that to a T. And, you know, I think lastly, you know, some guys look in the fourth round, like Matt Bowen said, like a Tyler Johnson, other guys are on those line. But another guy like going in that big receiver mold would be Antonio Gandy Golden from Liberty. Right. And another guy with, you know, lower competition, but he dominated nearly 1400 yards and 10 TDs and 10 TDs in 2018 as well. So great catch radius, absolute beast after the catch, running over guys, stiff arming guys. It looked like, um, children way he's uh when he has the ball in his hands and you know again not saying he will be this caliber player but you know watching some of that film he looks a little bit like megatron and calvin johnson uh type of plays he was making this past year so another guy you know maybe a normal draft would be second or third rounder but because this class is so stacked i think he could easily go to the fourth round and you know be an impact player for you maybe not right away because of the you know competition jump but i think he'd be a solid player in the next two or three years and then again surrounding the talent they made some moves at running back in the offseason, you know, adding Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick. And if Geis and if Darius Geis and Bryce Love are healthy, this backfield looks a lot different. But I think there's always going to be questions with that. So that's another spot. Is there a running back in that group that you like? And then let's look at the tackle class after that. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if, you, if they go in the third round, uh, a guy I really like at running back would be Cam Makers from FSU. Yeah, I like and, 
Yeah, he, he, he's a beast, man. I, I think he, he got slept on these last couple of years because FSU has been down as a program. But, you know, he's a baller. I mean, he ran a 4-4 at the Combine. Uh, he had over 1,100 yards rushing this year, 14 TDs. Solid out of the backfield with 30 catches this year. Um, definitely think he could be a feature back at the next level. I think it would be a you know, worthy pick in the third round. You go a little later, you got a guy like Eno Benjamin from Arizona State. Another guy that I like a lot, you know, out of the backfield, had 77 catches over these last two years. Um, you know, you, I think this team is a guy that can do a little bit of both. Um, and I think, you know, Eno could be that guy. He had a solid last two years, almost 2,800 yards rushing over the last two years. So I think maybe another guy the team could look at um, maybe in the fourth or fifth round if they're, you know, still not sold on the health of Love and guys, which would be warranted um, as a way they played. And, you know, tackle-wise, you got a guy like uh, Lucas Yang from TCU. Uh, coming into the season, he was, you know, being talked about as a first-round pick, but he had a little bit of a down year, um, didn't even play all uh, 12 games due to injuries. And, uh, you know, he I like his versatility. He can play left and the right side. And, you know, you definitely love to have you. Ron has talked about how much he loves versatility. So a guy like that would be uh, good for the team. He's huge at 6'7", 330, but he you know, plays pretty nimble for that size. I think at worst he could be a swing tackle, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's a starter at left or the right side here in 20, maybe by 2021. And then, you know, lastly, a guy that I like, a lot of people like him at guard more, um, but his name is uh, Robert Hunt from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could see him playing tackle, but I mean, I know people want to move him to guard, but you know, he, He's solid in pass protection, but he's an absolute road grader in the run game. I tell you, I mean, he just mauls guys. So I think, you know, be another guy for the team to consider. And, you know, drafting the third or fourth round, you're not usually going to get a day one starter at tackle or a lot of positions. So I think if you get a guy like that, let a lower competition and have him develop, you know, I think it would be a, a nice developmental pick for the team. And then the last thing I want to ask you about is the big question, because I think a lot of people wonder, and this doesn't necessarily pertain to the Redskins, but it could affect them. Where do you think Tua goes? Uh, obviously that's a, you know, important question right now. You know, I think talent wise, him and Burrow were leaps and bounds ahead of guys like Herbert and Love and from, but you know, everyone knows, you know, the question with two is injury. And, uh, you know, if it was just talent, like I said, I think he could, the rest of us might consider taking him at two. Um, but you know, I think Tua is going to be a, a great player. If, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm taking him at five and, um, I might even trade up to three to get him, depending on the package the Lions would want. But I think I think the Dolphins are going to end up with him. I, I don't see him getting past a six to the Chargers. But um, you know, I guess crazy things that happen. It depends on those medicals. But if I'm the Dolphins, like I said, I'll, I'll make a reverse of that decision about 15 years ago of letting Drew, not signing Drew Brees and trading him for Culpepper instead of uh, based on the medicals and maybe they make that wrong uh, by signing, excuse me, by drafting Tua and making him their franchise quarterback because. If all goes right, you know, he could be a top 10 quarterback in this league easily, in my opinion. That's the risk. And I think that's what, you know, is the risk here for Washington. But they've got a couple good choices up there. So I think they're going to end up okay whatever way they go. But, Tyler, listen, I appreciate you joining me. And why don't you tell people where they can find your work? Uh, On Twitter, I am NFL Scout 21. And I'm also the mock drive expert for NBC Sports Washington. And I have another mock coming out Monday and next Thursday, the day of the draft. Awesome. Tyler, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, man. After this break, I'll be back with my guy in Miami, ESPN's Cameron Wolf. Which quarterback do the Dolphins really want? And does he think they'll trade up to get one?
Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Cameron Wolf. Now I'm joined from Miami. My ESPN colleague, Cameron Wolf, does a great job covering the Dolphins and all of South Florida sports. Had a terrific video on Twitter recently announcing their pregnancy. That was very cool, man. Very cool. And um, anyway, Thank so you. thanks a lot for doing this, Cameron. want to start off since you cover the Dolphins, and obviously there's a lot of interest up here in what might happen with the Redskins' second pick involving the Dolphins. How do you see the, the fifth pick right now with Miami? How do you see that going for them right now? Do you think they're going to keep it there, or do you think they're going to move up? Well, first, I, I, I think it's going to be a quarterback. I, I would be very surprised if it's not a quarterback. Um, the trade up and stay put conversation is very interesting. And I think, you know, I always talk about this period of smokescreen season because you see right. so many different reports about what it wants and who wants to trade up and who likes this player. And a lot of it's just noise. Um, but I think a lot of it also serves a purpose to try to confuse other teams a lot about what their true intentions sure. are. I think in a perfect world, the Dolphins would love to stay at number five and get their quarterback. The, the test will be is they're playing a, a cat and mouse game of whether a team from behind them will come up and trade them. I think the Dolphins don't believe the uh, that Washington or Detroit is really going to take a quarterback at two or three. So right. their worry is obviously somebody coming to leap them. And they're going to have to use their best investigative skills to figure out if the Chargers or another team is really going to come up for a quarterback or if their guy will fall, that, fall to them to five. So I think their preference is to stay. Um, but if they hear noise that makes them feel like, hey, we've got to come up to two or three, then I can see them making that move. Do you, which quarterback do you think they really favor? Because lately the trend has been, hey, Miami really likes Justin Herbert. And you never know, like, is that a smokescreen or what is that? So what, do you, what is your take on which quarterback they would probably prefer? Welcome to my life. I've been trying to figure that out the last week or two. Um, <laughs> You'd have that for match, but I got to ask. <laughs> that's um you know I, I do wonder that a lot as well you know like I said I, I do know a smoke screen season but that's a lot of smoke you know coming from a lot of different directions so I, I do know that they they do like Justin Herbert's skill set they like his right. size they like the fact that obviously he's healthy um even though he's had a couple season ending injuries in the past he's more durable than Tua um but I know they love they have loved Tua for a long time right and if he was healthy this would not even be a conversation. They would right. trade up for Tua. They would do everything they needed, but he's not. And that's the reality. And I think the fact that the coronavirus is going on as a completely new element to this because they weren't able to get him in for a physical. Right. They weren't able to truly do everything they needed to do to cross their, their, their eyes, you know, to cross their T's and dot their eyes, you know? So I think they're, if they take Tua, they're taking a leap of faith. They're really taking a chance. So um, I don't know if they're going to be willing to take that chance, um, I think that's what the conversation is. I think if they feel good about Tua's medicals and they're willing to take that chance, he's the guy. If they don't feel good about it, then Herbert's the guy. Um, and, and the medical portion of it is something that I don't have a great sense of how they right. feel about it. Well, I think that's, that's the one thing I've heard up here, Cameron, and just even from talking to other people, that teams are, you know, are going to be afraid of the durability question and the concerns, which you know, and I think from a Redskins standpoint, I think what it means is, would they be as aggressive to move up to get him to get them to move out? That's the question I have. How, you know, that, I, I don't know that you can even answer that one too, but I think that's part of the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's unlikely, in my opinion, that the Dolphins will uh, be as aggressive, particularly if two was the guy. Um, 
as they might have been if he was healthy. And I definitely think that they feel more comfortable taking him, not giving up those assets. So I think if I had to handicap it at this situation, I think they stay at five and take whoever's available. And I know Dolphins fans will be frustrated by that perspective because it's like, you know, you should have a, a, a preference. You know, you should have a Herbert or a Tua and be strong on that one way or the other. But the vibe I get is that, you know, either they're on the Herbert train or they're, they're okay with either one. Um, And even if they prefer to, I I think they're in a situation where they would rather have the plethora of picks and not give up, you know, maybe that number 26 pick or even, you know, that number 37 pick um, to go get the one they really want. So I I get the feel if I had to guess at this point that they stay at five and take their chances either way. And I think the other thing with it, too, from a Redskins perspective, I think it would take a lot to get them off that pick. And that's where I say would my like mm-hmm. I think it would take their obviously their fifth and the eighteenth, maybe a second or third, and right. maybe a future pick. And I don't know. That's where I say, well, is the team really going to give up that much for Tua or even Justin Herbert? Yeah. I have a hard time seeing that too. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I think they might they would give up that much for Joe Burrow if Cincinnati right. was willing to trade right. trade him. But I don't see that happening. I, I know Washington obviously would want to ransom, you know, to give up the opportunity to draft Chase Young. They would need something that you know RG three probably level yeah. ransom to get that. And I, I just don't see the Dolphins giving that up for you know an injured Tua or a, a Justin Herbert with question marks. I would be really shocked if that happened. Um, I think Detroit, you know, if Detroit took a lower than lower than standard offer or even Washington right. took a lower than standard offer, then maybe that's a conversation. But I don't think that the Dolphins overpay for either of those two picks, you know, given the quarterbacks on the board. Right. And I think that's why I thought, too, I wondered about the third pick, because that may, they may have to give up less. You're not Detroit's not passing up the possible best player in the draft to do that. Right. But, you know, and so I think that's one of the things I've wondered about, too. But what do you what are Dolphins fans? What are they hoping for, you think? Well, I guess on the Detroit perspective, what I've heard is Detroit really, really wants to get out of number three. Like they've been putting out everything they can, you know, through reporters, through everything. And I just heard that, you know, I know they've talked a lot to teams about it, but I get I've heard that there's not as much um, capital for that pick as they want. Um, so they're trying to increase the value of it. Um, so I think that Detroit would love to get out of it because whether their guy is, you know, Akuda or, 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 or Isaiah Simmons or Derek Brown, they probably can get that guy at five. Right. So I think they would love to trade down. I just don't see Miami over, you know, overpaying for, for either of those picks. Okay. As far as what Dolphins fans want, they want Tua. They've wanted Tua for over a year. Yeah. You know, the tank for Tua uh, brigade started – was started by Dolphins fans, you know, right. just based on the idea that they're going to pass. They they made a decision, you know, last year that they were going to pass on the first-round quarterbacks. They liked Kyler Murray, but once it became clear that he wasn't going to be available, they weren't going to take Dwayne Haskins. They passed on him. Obviously, Washington took him. And then they took a flyer on Josh Rosen that, that hasn't worked out. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, they're in a situation where – um, they would love to see a franchise-changing quarterback. They haven't had a, a Pro Bowl quarterback in 24 years. That's the longest streak in the, in the NFL. Um, they haven't had a franchise quarterback since Dan Marino retired in 2000.
thousand, and they don't want to settle. And a lot of fans feel like Justin Herbert would be settling um, at quarterback. So, um, you know, GM Chris Greer talked to us, you know, um, a week before the draft this week, and 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 said that you know Dolphins fans should trust them. And I, I collectively felt Dolphins fans rolling their eyes, like, why should we trust? Them? <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, obviously this is a, a, a virtual draft, so if Dolphins fans are unhappy with the pick, we won't get to see them booing. Uh, but I'm sure that the <laughs> Dolphins will hear about that in the days and weeks to come if oh. they, they draft someone they don't like. I'm guessing Twitter would explode in, in South Florida if that's the case. Oh, know? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> last, last thing, Cameron, what do you think – what interest might Miami have in Trent Williams? And I ask that knowing, like – I still view Minnesota as a team to watch there, but every once in a while you hear the Dolphins, and we've chatted about this before, at least you know, right. ever. What, do you, what is their level of interest, do you think, in a guy like Trent? Well, I, I think they like Trent. Um, I think one thing about this team is they are in a rebuild, and they've really made it a priority to add guys they feel like are going to be in their core, guys who are in you know the 25 to 28 range is what they prioritized in free agency. They only have one player on their roster over 30, and it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he's not going to ever retire. So you know that he you know he's he's immune to that sort of thing. So I think there's a, there would be an interest in Trent, but I don't think they would be one of the highest bidders. I think the interesting thing to talk about with the Dolphins would be. Um, I think they're going to be very aggressive in trying to find offensive upgrades in this draft. But for whatever reason, if the board doesn't fall their way um, and they don't get an offensive tackle they feel good about early in the draft, that might present a situation where they have to, you know, go trade for a guy and maybe they get into the trend market. But I think that would be a backup plan uh, rather than something that they pursue uh, up front. Cool. So I guess to sum it up, you don't think they're going to be aggressive going up to get to at number two. I don't. I don't. I don't think they're going to be aggressive going for two at number two. I, I think that they would love to stay at five. I wouldn't be shocked to see them trade up for three, but I don't think it'll be the ransom, you know, that everybody thinks it's going to be. I think it would be something very modest if they do trade up. But I think their preference is to stay at number five. And whether it's two or whether it's Herbert, I think they try to stay and, and get their guy. And, and another, another thing, I wouldn't be shocked if the Chargers actually pass on the quarterback. Right. I know a lot of people have been putting them at a quarterback because nobody's really a believer in Tyrod Taylor. Right. Um, but I've heard that Anthony Lynn, like, legitimately – like the same way the Jags legitimately think that Gardner Minshew might be the guy. I think Andy Lynn thinks the same thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if they pass on a quarterback, which may make Miami think that why do we have to trade up? Who are we competing against? And if they had that perspective, then there's no need for them to trade up. I think that's a good point too. And I think that's been the word with Anthony Lynn. And I mean, shoot, Tyrod had a pretty good year in Buffalo. And I think, you know, you, with that defense out there, he might be a pretty good guy to pair with what they have out there. So Something else to watch, man. Hey, Cameron, thanks a lot. I appreciate the insight. Very good. And, you know, people can should follow Cameron on Twitter throughout this process because you're going to get what Miami's going to do from him. So, Cameron, thanks a lot. Thanks, John. Have a good one. That's all for this week. I appreciate your patience during this trying time. I hope everyone is staying sane. Got to admit, I have days where I don't think I do. This is not fun for anyone, and if you're going through a tough time, I hope this podcast can provide a few minutes of respite and a few nuggets of information to help you get through the day. Anyway, thank you to Randy Mueller, Tyler Roman, and Cameron Wolf for joining me. And mostly, thank you for listening. I'll talk to you sometime during the NFL Draft. Thank you and stay safe.